Can you hear me okay? Yeah, sounds good. Season one, episode three, we've hastily assembled the adventures for uh, another podcast. We've um, we've managed to get a chance to sit down with Luxury Elite later this evening and talk to her about not just Late Night Delight with uh, the repress of that coming out on Friday, but also just about her place in the sort of broader history of the genre, which is a really exciting opportunity. I'm joined as ever by Tom and uh, Martin. How are you doing, guys? Pretty good, thank you. Good evening. It's a uh, it's a Wednesday, you know, hump day. Always a positive. Yeah, um, hump day. Yeah, I've been off for a couple of days. I was in Exeter, an Airbnb. Um, I had an amazing time till we got the bill for the rug that I spilled a glass of wine over. <laughs> but it was nice to just do nothing and then come back to an inbox of madness as usual. That's such is the way. But it sounds as if you had a good time. You, you're an interesting landlady, from what you were saying. Yeah, I don't know if I told you, but I think I did tell you about this, didn't I, Tom? But um, basically, for those listening, I might as well elaborate a little bit. But she um, she came in the evening to set up. It's like a Swedish hot tub thing, so it required like burning things to warm up the water and stuff like that. It takes a couple of hours to prepare anyway. At the last minute, she was coming to the garden basically to tell us it was ready and how it worked and stuff like that. And as I wandered off, I just heard this noise behind me, a like, sound, and like, a splash. And she'd fallen, she'd tripped over this little wall that was about shin high, landed underwater in the pond, and she was <laughs> stuck. And all I could hear was, help, help. <laughs> and uh, I shouldn't laugh, she was actually, she was absolutely fine. I went, reached out, pulled her out of the pond, and for the next minute that she was talking to me, telling me how this had never happened before, she was just gushing with so much water out of her coat. It was impossible. It was like it was like a cartoon. It couldn't have been real, the amount of water that just kept gushing out of her. But um, no, she was really nice. She was really nice. It was really funny. She was embarrassed, but it's one of those things it's probably better to laugh about than make her feel awkward and go quiet. So we had a bit of a joke about it. Cool. Other than that, I mean, I guess there's a lot going on in the news that we don't need to dwell on too much. Um, just, you know, like from, I'm sure that we all agree on here, you know, that it's terribly sad what's happening and love um, and prayers to everyone who might be caught up in it or who've got family and friends who are caught up in it in, in any way. There is other news, which is uh, also been sort of received negatively. It's not on the same scale. It's a completely different vibe, obviously. But the the Bandcamp stuff, Tom, you you saw this. You you sent this to me earlier on about Bandcamp being taken over by um, what's the Epic Games? Epic is that Games. Right? Yeah, I mean, I think this this news is is barely two hours old. So you know, as you say, I think our um, our thoughts and opinions are going to be seriously out of date by the time this gets published but um you know the news kind of hit everybody's inboxes from you know Bandcamp who do send rather a lot of emails uh they this this particular email seems to kind of detail um a takeover by Epic Games who I believe make Fortnite and stuff they're a big player um and a lot of people in our world you know the, the kind of vapor world and the sort of retro music world have kind of reacted with a degree of suspicion. Um, I think it's too early to tell what the kind of repercussions of this are going to be, but um, people are worried about losing Bandcamp 
as they know it or as it is currently. This is kind of, I mean, ever since we started preparing, researching for the film and stuff, it's been a discussion about the impact of sampling and the legality of it and what would happen to the scene if Bandcamp was to kind of go the way that YouTube's gone algorithmically. So this is something that people have been fearing. I mean, let's, you know, like you said, it's two hours old. No one actually knows what the impact of this is going to be. They say it's business as usual, don't they, in the, in the statement that um, he's put out. But it definitely could be interesting uh, or problematic for any sample-based form of music that's on Bandcamp. Yeah, I mean, it could go either way. Like, the, so you just said YouTube, and like also this week or in the last few days, like a very, very um, influential YouTube channel. Uh, I don't know how to say it, but Zerf, XPEC, XERF, XPEC, influential channel that posted City Pop albums and kind of various uh, sort of niche music from sort of Soviet and Soviet satellite states. Uh, they got removed after three copyright strikes in the same way that Artsy Music was taken down, you know, whenever that was, you know, so the, the future of Bandcamp may look like that, or it may look like Spotify, which for all its kind of corporate gloss is somewhat of a wild west. You know, there's plenty of music in our world, which is extremely naughty with regards to copyright. And not only is it tolerated, it's, it's placed in official Vaporwave playlists. So too early to tell, who knows? Yeah, well, this is something we'll probably end up keeping on top of. Um, and um, yeah, we, we can ask we can ask Luxury Elite um, herself if she's got any views, because obviously um, she comes from the early days of, of Vaporwave and right mm. the way through. And they've seen, I'm sure, every artist that's been around as long as she has and as long as some of the other OGs have, have seen ebbs and flows where this kind of thing's been a concern before. So we can perhaps um, put that to her as well. Uh, you guys been listening to anything interesting musically? Beautiful. Shall I go? Yeah, go for it, Martin. Interestingly, we the um, last week you guys released the um, you had a mix that was done by Jack Dyson from Space Jams, who'd um, included on his track listing for the uh, the Club Flamingo. He'd included Luxor, which interestingly I've not heard of Luxor for a very long time because he's not really released he or she. Forgive me, I'm not quite sure who they who they are exactly has only sort of not released anything for at least two years and sort of prior to that was some time before so i've been listening to a little bit more of his stuff off the back of that in the last week or so um he's kind of renowned for doing a lot of remixes of kind of classic tracks that you would um that you'd know well from the 80s i think jack included one from um from george michael i'd myself been listening to um a remix of uh, higher love that he'd done on steve winwood's um, it's an extended mix, but it's it, it's good. It's kind of it's it, it's done in a way that's quite um, quite smooth, quite different. But at the same time, it's probably really good for a DJ mix. Actually, thinking about it, but he's um, so I've been listening a little bit more of his um, his whole remix album, really. But that but that particular track stands out.
Well, uh, what I was going to do actually this week is because we've just, as you know, you've been mastering it. Mm-hmm. We've been um, putting the finishing touches to Hoot in Belgier, which is big in Belgium. It's uh, Timeshare 94's next album. Myself and my brother, we've both got Belgian family. So um, basically the concept on it, we've, we've, we've gone to songs that we grew up hearing, uh, songs that call back to Belgian films that we've seen or, you know, stuff that reminds us of holidays there when we were younger, that kind of thing. I think it's, I mean, it's quite a rare thing to see an album which is entirely focused on samples from one country that's not Japan, perhaps, or America. So I, I, there might be examples, but one of the things that intrigued us about it, apart from exploring kind of those kind of cultural references that we grew up around, was to see if um, it was just the idea of maybe looking outside of the usual frames of reference. So every song or nearly every sample is is Belgian or something that was big in Belgium. Um, and uh, I think, yeah, as a concept, it plays through and you get interesting soundscapes. Tom, you've listened to that, you know, I don't know what you make of it, but it is definitely got a different sound. I think it's got, you know, it's vaporwave. It's got different elements involved, but I think that you can hear something in the cultural references of the music. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I've been mastering it. I've been enjoying it. It's sort of, there's classic vapor, there's future funk, and it kind of extends into this sort of burgeoning vaporwave territory as well, which is, you know, exciting to hear. But I don't have an unbiased opinion because I'm the mastering engineer. <laughs> how, <laughs> how, how long has it taken you guys to put it together? Because I appreciate it's been a bit of a work in progress. We've been talking about this for about a year, a year and a half, and working on it slowly. We've had ebbs and flows, and then we've kind of had other projects get in the way. Um, and then just basically over Christmas, we just decided to put ourselves first for a little while because we were so bogged down in just admin and running the label. We hadn't kind of concentrated on this, but I think it's the best thing we've done yet. Maybe people will like it. Maybe people will hate it. But um, yeah, it's a labour of love and um, we'll be putting it out in a few weeks' time. If, if, if we're being indulgent, choosing our own music, um, I might be a little bit indulgent and uh, give an honourable mention uh, to something as well as my actual pick. Uh, so my, my honourable mention is um, I was sent a radio show on NTS Radio 
which was um, presented by an artist called Demon Slayer. Uh, and the, the concept of the show was V-Wave. And V-Wave is not Vaporwave, but is new wave music from Vietnam. And uh, the music was wicked, really interesting. So this was like 70s and 80s stuff made from sort of uh, Vietnamese people living in California. Um, really cool. But uh, the presenter ended the show, I think, as a nod to the, this kind of sort of ambiguity around the name V-Wave. He ended the show with a Blank Banshee tune. So um kind of brought brought it back to Vaporwave. Um, it was a really good listen. I think it's archived on NTS. So yeah, the the um, V-Wave show by Demon Slayer. Um, my actual pick is uh, track, uh, The Tipping Point from the new Tears for Fears records, which is also called The Tipping Point. Um, it's just like a real return to form. Um, it's sort of classic Tears for Fears, treading sort of classic uh, themes. So, you know, as unfashionable as it might be, you know, they, they've, they've always kind of uh, sung about primal screen therapy and Jungian psychoanalysis and stuff like that's been a, a drum they've been banging for decades now, but uh, banging it very, very effectively here. Um, had a really brief exchange on Twitter with um, St. Pepsi, uh, who is an enormous fan of this record. Uh, so some kind of link to what we're talking about later today. But yeah, tipping point, tears for tears, banger. So this Friday, we've got the Late Night Delight uh, Deluxe. Uh, we've got three new vinyl variants as well as tape and mini discs. Um, the album's going on for nearly a decade now. It's incredibly influential. It's incredibly popular. It's probably one of the top two or three most uh, cited gateways to Vaporwave, if you can call it such a thing. Um, we've got Luxury Elite. Uh, joining us in a little while to have a chat and um yeah what what better opportunity to kind of talk through one of the og stars of the scenes uh feelings and memories of making the album but also its wider impact on the scene and um yeah just find out about what what makes her tick and what what's to be coming in the future excellent well, i'm looking forward to it it's gonna be good yeah that's all good Andrew. Thank God. Okay, I can hear you guys. Oh, you can, can hear us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Luxury in the house. 
Yes. How Hi. are you? Ah, <laughs> I'm You've doing. Had a mad day in work, haven't you? Oh my god, I had like a a meltdown post work. So I'm like, I was like, get your ass together. You have an interview to do. It is okay. <laughs> we'll keep it relaxed. It's no dramas, but it's it's great to have a chance to talk to you. And um, yes. Yeah, you know, it's um, with everything that's going on, it's nice to sort of refocus your minds on more positive and uh, lovely things. And, exactly. Um, so that's yeah, why we've been this, looking forward to this. Yeah, yeah, likewise, likewise. So I'm Enzo, we've spoken before, uh, obviously. Um, you've got Tom, who is also Donor Lens. Tom, Tom, Donor Lens, Hilux. Hi. And Martin, who is Patrick Fakeman and is also part of the podcast panel. Hello, Mr. Fakeman. It's nice to meet you. Good evening, good afternoon, good middle bit, however it is for you. Early evening, is it there? And thank you very much for coming and joining us. Thank you. Of course, I'm more than happy to be here. Um, My cats might make some cameos. They might decide to meow or do some crazy stuff. So I apologize in advance if you hear them sound like they're going rabid. They may be, and I apologize. I I, I had to throw mine out because he was was causing trouble and the other ones were just sort of all standing outside the door waiting for me. So they've gone. (laughs) I've got a sleeping baby at the other end of the hall and uh, a dog dog who may pop in. Uh, He likes to pop in when we're recording podcasts, but he's, I think he's uh, asleep on the landing. So guarding the baby. Yeah. I feel bad because I've got no, no babies or pets. Is he yet? Yeah, no. Not yet. Uh, anyway. Baby on the way though. That that was today's news. I went for baby scan. Found out I'm having a little boy in the summer. Oh my gosh! Hey, amazing. Congratulations! Thank you. That's wonderful news. Yeah. Another baby oh. pad. There's loads of us. There are a few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, thank you. Like well, Martin said that we've all we're all really pleased to have a chance to sit and have a chat. Obviously, this Friday we've got. Uh, Late Night Delight, the reissue coming out. And we did think, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you is to commemorate that release. Um, but is it all right if I just start by asking you what you make of the current Vaporwave scenes? Maybe you give people a sense of how it's changed over the years because you've been around for for a while. Yes, sure, absolutely. Um, this year actually is now a full decade of me being in the vaporwave realm which is kind of crazy like um actually i was a big fan of it starting in 2011 because i kind of watched it behind the scenes and then um on funny enough september 11th that will be officially 10 years of me doing the lux project so it's kind of wild to think a that this that the scene is still around um because quite frankly i'm so used to so many internet scenes I've, I've watched of course i watched chill wave come and go witch house come and go sea punk come and go um all these different genres that kind of didn't really have a very long life uh very long shelf life so i kind of figured truly that vaporwave would be the same way um but i feel like um the combination of people discovering how wonderful a vaporwave IRL show is, but also COVID and people becoming more, having to stay home more, 
uh, people hanging around online more, people's desire to do more URL shows. Um, I feel like that has kind of, that's kind of brought like a renaissance in a way to Vaporwave, which to be honest, I didn't know if I was going to see a renaissance. I didn't know if I was coming back in 2020. And whenever I did, I was like, wow, it's still thriving. And I'm really impressed by it. Um, of course, there's a lot of people that I don't see anymore that um, were once part of the scene that are now gone, which breaks my heart. But still, it's like, even though those people aren't there, there are still so many people that I've developed friendships with, personal relationships with that are just just as passionate and just as excited about the scene as people that I met in 2013 and 2014, which I think is amazing. So yeah, it's, it's different. I mean, there are a lot of different subgenres and things that parallel vaporwave more than they were like a lot of people don't do the classic sound anymore i mean people still do but not everybody but even then it's like the ethos is still there and i'm so pleased that it's been around for so long it's crazy to me but i think it's awesome it, it, it is and it's interesting as well you say that because obviously they're like you said there were people that you were friends with back in the early days but their music it kind of lives on with them the fact that people are still crying out for a copy of albums like Late Night Delight, the fact that there's a demand for Floral Shop and other classic albums from the early days still now shows that people are still accessing those early sort of um, totemic releases, if, if that makes sense. So those people are still part of the evolving culture of it now. I'm Strawberry Station and you're listening to Future Sounds FM. I was a bit of a latecomer listening to Late Delight for the first time. I picked it up on tape for My Pet Flamingo a while back. Uh, I think the thing that st- struck me about it was how seamless it was. Considering it was a back-to-back album, you could play any one of those songs and they, they just fit together perfectly. Lux's side, St. Pepsi's side, it's just a really smooth listen and I think that's why it holds up so well. It's just really well made <laughs> it's really neat to see um i've i've actually heard people talk about how they look at the early vaporwave scene with like rose-colored glasses so to speak and i think that's so neat judging like being from somebody that was actually there on accident watching it unravel um it's it's neat to see that people are so passionate about I guess, quote unquote, the classics, so to speak. Um, it's, I don't know. It, I, I really thought that a lot of the early stuff would be forgotten about. Not really, just kind of people focusing on the new, people focusing on the current. But um, I guess it's just a testament to Vaporwave, how powerful these albums are and how life-changing they are, even to people that are just now discovering it. Um, I guess it's... For funny enough, for a lot of our samples being from the '80s, I guess it is kind of a timeless genre right now. I would consider yeah, it's it to like be a, timeless. A nostalgia within a nostalgia, almost. Absolutely, yes. It's 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 very it's wild to me, and also what's wild is how young some of these fans are. Like I interact with these these kids that were born in 2000, and I'm like, what? You were born <laughs> what? 2000. You're 22 and you were born in 2000 and younger kids from high school that are learning vaporwave and falling in love with it. Like it just blows my mind how how 
the reach of vaporwave. Yeah. It's incredible. Why why do you think that's happened? Because it we, we you talk about and you're right the idea that you've got this kind of renaissance of the 80s and so you can understand why people our age would would gravitate towards towards that music. Why is it that these young people born in 2000 are finding themselves sort of yeah. enjoying vaporwave and I'm not I'm not expecting you to know the answer to that but if you've got an idea it'd be interesting to get your view on it really absolutely um I kind of my, whenever I fell in love with vaporwave um it was an escape for me at the time that I started creating it I was going through some real life hardships real life struggles I'm desperately looking for things that could help me go into a different realm of reality. Something that kind of gives me a break from how bleak things felt. And I mean, it could possibly be people looking for that escape now. I mean, you're finding yourself doom scrolling on accident through Twitter. You're finding yourself seeing headlines that make everything seem really not good. And of course, we are still going through COVID times. People are lonely. People are looking for a way to distract their brains, a way to focus on good whenever things don't feel that great right now. So I totally understand people falling in love with Vaporwave. Um, it takes you into another world. It kind of takes you into a different decade, pretty much. You get to experience a life that you didn't really get to experience, but you're kind of experiencing it. And it seems pretty nice compared to the present. Um, I kind of think that that is uh, why so many people gravitate. And also, another thing, I actually kind of think that a lot of people are, um, or a lot of kids rather, really like the fact that it's so easy to make Vaporwave. I mean, Luxury Elite was my first ever music project. I really haven't done anything outside of Lux. So... For a lot of people, it's kind of like their stepping stone. Like, oh, okay, I, I'm going to do the sample stuff and then I'm going to go to the next step. It's like a, a starting ground for a lot of musicians and a lot of kids. And they feel like, hey, I can be part of this too and be part of a wonderful community of people. Do you know what's really interesting you say that is uh, we talked to Adam Harper. We did an interview with him uh, for the film a couple of months ago. And yeah. he said, uh, Tom, I, you correct me if I'm misquoting him, but I think he said that Vaporwave is the first genre of music where you can make an album in less time than it takes to listen to it. So I think he was he was being playful. And he, he, he said, I'm not meaning to be dismissive about it. I think he kind of liked the sort of playful... Um, the facetious tone of what he was saying but in mm -hmm. some respects it's kind of true there's a throwaway sense especially with some of the earlier stuff that it was kind of the low barrier to entry almost punk ethos of it but yeah. I think it, it, like it was a playful comment he was making but like vaporwave is is playful with time and i think i think like some other music then that adam harper would be interested in like john cage and uh things like that that's that's kind of more serious music that is mm -hmm. also playful with time so i think um yeah, I think I think it was like it was a it was a good line. It was a zinger, but um, yeah, but, make, but there was, I reckon it makes the final cut. <laughs> there, but it, you know, it, it, it sort of unearthed uh, a truism that you know vaporwave does interesting things. You know, it has an interesting temporal effect. 
Definitely. 100%. I agree. I love that quote. Honestly, it took a week for a lot of my albums, my early albums to get made. Like I could churn them out within days. I, I don't know how I did it, but he didn't lie. I mean, you you can make a Vaporwave album very, very quickly or at least an EP. It's they're just so fast to turn out, especially if you're super prolific like I was. Now I can't do that anymore. It takes, I, I take a lot longer than that. But um, his quote is not a lie at all. I chuckle because it's it's very accurate. <laughs> does, does that add to the kind of crazy idea that ten years later people are still happy to listen to it and, and play it and buy the vinyl, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera, from, from from a point of view that. It feels as if it's quite easy to make. You can turn it out in a week, and yet, 520 weeks later, people are still listening to it. Right? Yes, exactly. Like I, my one of my most streamed albums with love um, is was made in like probably two two and a half weeks. And Midnight has, I, I don't even know how many streams. I think the last time I saw it had over a million streams on Spotify. And I went, what? Are you, are you serious? I'm flattered, but it's really wild to think that this random song that I just kind of sampled and messed around with, it hits so many people. And then of course, Swack, um, that has gotten really big. And I think I've finished that song I made the second version of it, which made world uh, made it onto world class. I think I got that done within three hours. Three it's hours. Crazy. <laughs> it is crazy, but you know. Yeah. Taking us back to when you originally set up the project, then was there? Um, well, how, how did the idea for luxury really as kind of a character come about? Like, were you consciously looking for? an identity that said something to the idea of consumerism and advertising? Well, that is a good question. So whenever I first started um, really going into locks, um, of course, in September of 2012, at the beginning, I was just kind of throwing things at the wall. And I was trying to see what would really stick musically. I already knew that I wanted to do luxury elite and I wanted it to be a per like, I, I didn't want it to be known as my name. I wanted it to be known as Lux. So I knew that I wanted it to be an entirely different identity outside of myself. Then I just didn't really have the concrete ideas in my head until probably Rose Quartz. Rose Quartz, the EP that came out in early 2013 was the, where I was like, okay, this is what I want to do with Lux. Um, there was a commercial that really inspired the look of Lux, um, a compilation called Neon Nights, which ended up becoming a song title of Rose Quartz, ended up becoming the name of my online radio station, uh, or uh, well, radio show rather, for a couple of years. Um, but that there was a particular still of this woman with a veil over her face, this 80s looking business suit, etc., that I just, I really clung to. And around 2011, right as I was discovering Vaporwave, I was also doing, I was also screenshotting random commercial blocks. So I liked the idea of my songs being background music to whatever screenshot I had, trying to match them up as much as possible. And I love the world that 
commercial blocks took me into because they were flashy, they were fun. It was a world of where MTV and Miami Vice made everything look flashy and exciting and fun. And I found that to be quite appealing. And I wanted that to be a part of Locks to not have have the Lux world look like basically a random assortment of commercial blocks. It may not be the most appealing of items, but they look flashy and it's fun as hell. So like, I don't know. I just, I always gravitated to commercials and I always gravitated to television. I grew up watching television all the time. Anyway, I literally grew up in front of a TV. So I feel like it only made sense. It was like, it fit like a glove. It was a natural fit for me to do commercial, like basically music for commercial blocks. Are you making a statement with it? I mean, beyond the aesthetic and your interest and your enjoyment of those sort of visuals, are you making a statement? Because there was a, you know, there's been people who've made a big song and dance about this idea about Vaporwave being anti-capitalist or, you know, maybe more just about um, evoking nostalgia. I mean, do you sit on one side of the, the fence there? For me, honestly, it's all about nostalgia. Um I know that that was a very popular statement um, that was kind of that was made, of course, back in the early days. But and honestly, I did try to incorporate that because back in those days, fun fact, it was like it was how do I want to word this? It was I was almost afraid to say, oh, I don't really have that kind of vision for it. I rather look at it with it like a nostalgic lens because that was at the time where if people had this had vaporwave on a pedestal, I was already considered to be a quote unquote cancer that was killing vaporwave because I wasn't taking it seriously enough. So it wasn't cool for me to say, hey, I like it for the nostalgia. So initially I tried to go along with it, but in actuality, Fuck it, nostalgia. That was 100% my the appeal for me. I liked the weird, strange world it took me into. I liked the fact that it reminded me of everything that I saw as a kid on television. I liked the fact that I got to play around with the quote-unquote 80s aesthetic of all the commercial blocks that I was seeing. I went into it fully for the nostalgic purposes and how warm and fuzzy it made me putting on those rose-colored glasses and going into that realm. Do you, that's where it's leveled out now, though, isn't it? Go 10 years forward, you've got the business of Vaporwave's grown. I think people have kind of settled on this more nostalgic... Um, I mean, it, some people are making a statement. I don't want to take that away from artists, but it feels like the scene generally is kind of leveled out to a point where that debate has been argued and dealt with. Do you think that's fair? Kind of, sort of. I mean, I think it's still around, but um, of course, I think, I mean, capitalism sucks, but at the same time, it awfully being able to make money off of this now, which is so funny considering how this started as a fuck you to capitalism, um, is now like, oh, we're making money from this? Sick. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's do this. Um, but I, I just, I do see, I do think that it has kind of tapered off. I think that it, it is kind of there, but I think mostly everybody enjoys it for the way that it makes them feel um, and the way yeah. that it brings them joy to go to get transplanted into a different, uh, a different part of your head for a while. Do you find that you're, um, well, I guess the first question is, are, are you still listening to that sort of music now? And are, are you still getting that kind of satisfaction from the work that 
you're listening to that other people are producing? You mean for Vaporwave? Mm. Um, I actually, for a while, between um, 2016 and 2020, I actually kind of took a break from Vaporwave. Um, just not really super by choice. My computer died. And I did not really have a way for a while to listen to Vaporwave because, of course, it wasn't really on any streaming platforms. Um, my CD player was a hunk of junk. Um, and I didn't really have anything with which to listen to Vaporwave. So I kind of had to go away from it for a while. But um, I've in returning, I've been trying to go back not only to listen to the classics, of course, um, but to also um, listen to new artists. And it does, I really do get joy from listening to Vaporwave. I really, really do. Um, especially now listening to a lot of the new artists. I finally found an MP3 player that that functions in my, in my car. And just I've just been loading it with new and old. It's been nice. I heard Floral Shop for the first time in a long time, like two weeks ago. And I was like, man, this is still wonderfully solid. Found new tracks that I fell in love with. And of course, still listening to all my old favorites, um, but also really appreciating the new stuff that people are coming out with. Because I mean, they're, yeah, it's different. Not everything sounds completely classic vapor, as I said, but it's still within the parallel vaporwave universe. Like it's still there. It's still vaporwave, just not what I'm used to, but they still get it. And I love that. I really, really do. So yeah, I still, I still listen to it and I still love it. It's nice to come back to it after the break, though. I took a little bit and listened to some new wave and some post-punk and some disco. It's been fun, but it's nice to come back to Vaporwave. Lux, can I just say, you know, when you decided to come back to Vaporwave, you know, it seemed to kind of broadly coincide with the start of the pandemic and one thing that was really noticeable to me at least is, you know, I'd be tuning into all these uh, URL streams, which for us here in the UK, seem, you know, they'd be happening in the middle of the night. And, yeah. you know, th th some of these streams would have, you know, 30, 40, maybe 50 people watching. But, you know, I feel like you were at all, at all of them and sort of hyping up these these acts in the chat, you know, some of whom are probably half, half our age, you know, these high school kids and, you know, you're in, in attendance. I think that must be such a, you know, such a buzz for them. Why, thank you. Yeah, like I I have always been a very big fan of URL shows. Um, part of the reason why I discovered Vaporwave in the first place, like how I was led into Vaporwave before I even had a name, um, I was part of a forum called, um, it was for a forum called Black Moth Tuba Rainbow Fans. Um, that is how I met Liz of SPF 420, who actually introduced me to Ramona, to Vectroid. And back in those days, before SPF 420 was going on, we were doing um, we were doing these Black Moth Super Rainbow fans tiny chats because there were a lot of artists in the scene, including Vectroid, who would actually do like little performances with video. They would sync them up. They would um, have like these full on performances. So it was proto SPF 420. Um, and ultimately, I've always really loved the idea of URL shows. I Not everybody gets the chance to see these artists that they really want to see. Um, bands, unfortunately, aren't accessible to everybody. Um, some bands can only tour within their states or different countries. They don't get to go everywhere where they want to go. And fans don't get that opportunity to see them. So 
I've always been a fan of the accessibility aspect of URL shows, getting the chance to see different artists from all across the globe. Um, they get to get they get to show off their music. They get to introduce themselves to new people. I think it's really powerful. So, and I, I actually, I mean, SPF 420 was not super active. I think by the time I had kind of disappeared. So coming back and discovering that URL shows were not only like happening still, but they were thriving again. Of course, I was excited because it was so nice to have that exhilarating feeling of watching cool acts and being part of something fun and exciting with all these people I didn't know. I thought it was great. So I, I don't know. I like going in there and I like cheering people on and hyping people up because, I mean, it's it's I don't know. It's just brings me joy to do that. And I mean, these kiddos are talented. I don't want them to think, oh, this this person who happened to be in the realm like 10 years ago thinks that they're too cool for my music. Fuck no. They're my peer and I'm going to support them and tell them that their music rules and hype them up and make them feel overjoyed. I like the recognition that I got from people that I consider to be my idols whenever I first hopped into the scene. I can only do that for them in return, in my opinion. Yeah. I can remember seeing you in the chat in uh, Flamingo Fest, which uh, we, we put on with uh, Indy, and you definitely put in a shift there. Like Tom said, there were quite a few artists who popped in, and it did definitely pick the mood up of people to see this kind of level of accessibility that there is between fans and artists in, in Vaporwave. It's really it's really cool to see. Um, it kind of plays into the other question I wanted to ask you. Like, yeah. a lot of people, I think, who were around back in the early days, some... I've heard it said before, they missed the kind of spirit that Fortune 500 embodied. What, what was it like running a label then? Like, do you miss that part of the history of the music or that era? Man, I, I actually, I really do miss Fortune 500 a lot. I don't know if I could go back to it because I feel, I, I honestly don't even know how I had the time to do it because I was like releasing an album a week for homies of mine. Um, Fortune 500, ultimately, like, it was supposed to be a quote-unquote last resort label after my initial idea of doing, like, had this weird concept in my head of doing, like, a singles release. Like, one artist do one single, have another artist that compliments it, do the second single. Like, I had Chopping World JP and Miami Vice in my head doing a collab. And I mean, it kind of came true with my little single split with Drips. That was my dream. I totally used Fortune 500 to make that dream come true. Um, but ultimately, I just, I kind of wanted it to be a place where people had the chance to release Strictly Vaporwave. Because not, I mean, there were labels out there, Alantha, Sun Up. Um, I want to say Vapor Babes was out there. Um, Crystal Magic, I think, was starting to kind of come up around the time that Fortune 500 was. Business Casual wasn't really out yet. Um, but Fortune 500, like, I wanted that to be a label that was strictly Vaporwave. I wanted Vaporwave people to come in and feel like, hey, I can release music here because there really wasn't a hub. You had to, like, dig deep through SoundCloud to find something because... I mean, you couldn't really, there wasn't really a lot out there. There wasn't really a place where you could find a concentrated label. So um, in doing that, I really didn't expect for Fortune 500 to hit off the way it did. I just wanted to release albums by cool artists that I liked. And I just wanted to be able to 
put them out there, especially since I had a platform now. I wanted to boost my friends up. I wanted to boost these cool releases up that probably would have not been discovered otherwise or been buried with other things. So um, I do wish that there were more labels out there like that. Um, I mean, there are, but I, I do kind of miss the times where there wasn't a label that was fully focused on physical releases and it was just, we're putting this random release out for free. Take it or leave it. Um, all digital, all free, no money earned. We just want to put this out there. I do wish that there were something, a sequel to Fortune 500. I tried to do it with Preview Guide, but I got a little bit bored, admittedly. I was like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> I don't have the time for it. But it is really cool to see that Fortune 500 has gotten the praise it's gotten. Like I said, I didn't expect it. It's really cool, really neat. It's definitely true what you're saying in that there's more labels now which are run. I mean, we're an example of that, that have become more than a hobby and they almost become a business and it, you either have to choose to go one way or the other. And we certainly don't look to make, we don't make a shitload of money out of Vaporwave, obviously, but yeah. you do enough to to make it your prime. That's that's my main my main focus on a weekly basis, me and my brothers, is, is to do that. And I'm sure there's a few... John Zabir will probably say the same thing. He's managed to make it just about his job. It yeah. changes the ethos of things a little bit. But you are you are right, and it has changed the kind of characteristics of the scene. But we'll just, just dive straight into some LND stuff. Cool. Yeah. Cool, Cheers. Right. In a sec. Right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. In a second. This is Eric Hughes with Sly Vinyl Records, and not only is St. Pepsi and Luxury Elite's Late Night Delight a marriage of vapor royalty, it might just be the perfect release for the vapor vinyl format. This newest pressing clearly takes inspiration from the original cassette edition and is the most comprehensive version yet. Alright. Yep, yep, yep. Oh, I think we're back <coughs> again. Oh, yeah. Hey, I oh, thought okay. I've been talking with you guys. I'm like, are they not hearing me? <laughs> no, we haven't been hearing me. you. Sorry, oh, that was rude no. of us. We were just talking about cats and babies again. It's okay. Yeah, it's no what we talk about cats Sorry and babies. About that. Oh, it's yeah. fine. My cats have thankfully not gone too crazy. I think they actually are asleep for once, which is a shocker. Yeah, mm. but now I, I was trying to say I'm so sorry if I sounded like a jerk whenever I was talking about Fortune 500 as a digital label. I was like, oh no, that might sound really tone deaf of me. Like, oh, no. dismissing physical labels. No, I it's figured just, not. But I was like, oh shit, I need to oh, stop no. my foot in my mouth. Oh, but right. to be honest with you, I'm quite conscious of it because we've we've kind of had a bit of flack over the years certain people as you get bigger you get I think you're there more to get shot down and I think people start to maybe it's more people are looking at something you're going to notice the noises that are negative around making money and things like that I think people assume that you make more money than you do and make all sorts of assumptions about yeah your intentions yeah they think it's more of a business but we've always tried to keep it as much as possible like a, a family a small Definitely. family business and uh yeah i hope that comes across to people but this ain't about us anyway yeah. so talking about late night delight this is an album that uh, of all albums we've ever released i i 
have never ever stopped receiving emails from people asking if we're going to do a repress we're going to do a repress and so we obviously finally got round to, to to having another crack and hopefully you're really pleased with how the art came out Vanitas did a, a really amazing job on it I think yes but yes how do you it. feel about that album all these years later like when you made it did you did you have any idea of kind of the the fact that people would still be talking about it all this time not at all not at all um it's really wild to think that originally they it was not even going to be on tape originally um we were promised it whenever we had agreed to releasing with illuminated pats back whenever wes was um still running at public spreads news but then he had said well i I, i'm sorry i have family stuff going on i can't really i can't do the tapes and we were like okay well whatever maybe we can do them one day and funny enough it was him being like wow this is a really great release I'm going to release these on tape. Re- expect 25 tapes to come out. And those sold out, I think. It was remarkable to us that even 25 tapes at that time sold out within a day. Only 25. I remember Ryan and I freaking out like, oh my gosh, this is happening. We just sold out our first tape ever. And now we, th- this, w- I would have never, ever expected this fun goofy project this fun goofy split release to have had the effect that it has upon our vaporwave scene and for it to be this popular um i just we just wanted to have fun and make a cool album based upon our love of mac tonight that we bonded over and now it's everybody's go-to first album usually that or floral shop and i think that that is so strange it's so flattering this could be like a moment where you pop a pin in the balloon but do you feel strongly about it i mean i've spoken to ryan before and he said he loves it obviously loves it but he feels like he's done and i'm sure you do as well feel like you've done albums which you might have felt more strongly about i mean how do you feel about late night delight as a as a piece of your wider work yeah um i remember being intimidated by it initially because ryan at that point was really starting to like blow up i was watching him get really popular even like um at the time i mean of course he wasn't signed to car park at any time but like at that point but like he he was starting like his his music was really gravitating to people and i remember starting this blood and being like how in the world am i going to compete with ryan and i mean i i now look and i'm like oh lux it's not a competition what are you thinking but i i just wanted to make sure that if i was going to be doing a split that it was going to be as hype as it has his side was which i mean yeah in retrospect it wasn't the most hype but i kind of feel like somebody described it to me how they see it and i totally agree um my side is like somebody getting ready for a night out getting excited getting dressed talking to their girlfriends on the phone like oh my god i'm so excited to meet up with you guys let's go to this party and then Ryan's side is like the full party experience of being there, of being with the friends, of all of that. So it's like the Lux side is the hype. The St. Pepsi side is the experience. And I, I was like, man, I like that. I'm totally borrowing that and stealing that from you because that's so spot on. 
oh, that person forgave me for stealing his reference, but I've been using it ever since. Um, but it's, I, it's not my favorite thing I've done. I will admit because I mean, I've really grown more, but at that time, I, I mean, still, I'm super proud of the samples I chose, my looping. I wish I would have not taken it so seriously and had a little bit more fun with it. But at the same time, I mean, I heard it. I heard it back. Funny enough, for the first time in a while, through the vapor or, or the vinyl remaster that was done, and I found myself dancing in the kitchen, it, doing the dishes to it, and being like, "Man, I gave myself too much grief on this album. This is really solid. This is really fun, and it still stands the test of time." Almost now, ten years later, I cannot believe that's about to be ten years old. I feel ancient. Lux is officially like almost in double digits. Oh my gosh, she's going to be a teen soon. Late Night Delight is going to be a teenager soon. This what is what we kind of- expect to see from the stroppy face. <laughs> well, well, music well, start to get more challenging and yeah, anti yes. everything. While she's um, <laughs> whilst you're dancing around the kitchen doing the dishes. Yes, at the same and- time. <laughs> It's so amazing. Like, I just, I can't believe it. I, I can't believe that we're talking about this album almost 10 years later. It's a very pinch me, I'm dreaming moment. Never would I have expected to have this sort of legacy with an album that Ryan and I made. I, I just, that- is a very crazy thing. I'm so sorry. Go ahead. The, the, the hype is real. I mean, my notifications emails like twitter everything that's been going off the hook for the last week with people asking questions every time i do a post i keep thinking did i word that clearly enough so that everyone (laughs) understands exactly what's happening on friday but i guess we just have to wait and see it's really exciting um we we put um some we put the opportunity out to members of the fan club club flamingo Mm -hmm. um just to to see if they had anything they wanted to ask you and i think there's some great ones which Give us the answers we're looking for. I, I accidentally stole Gonzalez Ivan 0820's question, which was kind of asking you about the impact that you thought. It, did you think it would have such an impact on the, the genre or even how popular it would prove to be? So um, shout to to that uh, question. Sorry, I stole it. Um, <laughs> but Spooky, Spooky Lane has asked what your favorite song on the album is um, and why. I think I would say Schomburg. Um, Schomburg, I think that was one of the last songs I did. Oh yeah. I love that song. So many people ask me about that title and they're like, how did you think of Schomburg? Which is like, um, I guess part of the Chicago Metro. And I had just seen it in a car commercial, a local car commercial that I saw. And I was like, oh, that looks like a cool name. I'm going to use that as a Lux title. But, um, it just, it really packs a punch. Um, so many people ask me what the sample source is, and I wish that somebody else had found it because I lost it so many years ago, and I would love to rework Schomburg because I think it'd be really fun to expand on that song. But I, I think it's, I think it was like a random J-pop song, but I can't find it. I've kind of given up on finding it. But just as a standalone song as is, it's just. There's just something about it that's just so charming and so fun and so just a joy to listen to. I'm really proud of myself for that track. So I would say Schomburg.
can hear me typing in the background. I'm trying to find see if someone, <laughs> someone's added it to who sampled. I, if I find it, I'll um I'll I'll, I'll DM you afterwards. Um, okay, cool. Um, we got another question, and I guess this plays into the process. How and, and perhaps you can tell us how did how did the collaboration come about in the first instance? But this question from Raymond asks if you can tell us a bit about the creative side of it, um, how you both worked together to make it a cohesive whole as it were yeah um so we we found each other i was i think i was either one of ryan's or ryan's first soundcloud followers like he had just started saint pepsi i remember his avatar was like the madonna like a prayer commercial screenshot like i remember like as soon as i followed him i think Within a day, he sent me a message and said, hey, do you want to collab? And I was like, oh, sure. Yeah, why not? Let's go for it. I mean, he was pretty prolific. I mean, he had just put up the SoundCloud and already had three albums out that he had put out pretty much within the same day. Yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, how has he already released three albums? That's admirable. That's wild. Um but we ended up doing this collaboration. Um, we friended each other on Facebook and um, we just kind of started sending songs to each other, sharing ideas of what we wanted to do. And of course we had already like flipped out about Mac tonight, which funny enough, um, I want to say I ended up putting, I, I made um, a Mac tonight header from a Facebook, I think around the same day, like a year before that we were discussing Mac tonight. I think it was like literally the same day a year before that I'd put that Mac tonight header up. And I was like, this is a weird serendipitous moment. So we decided to use that for late night delight. Um, we were like, well, this was apparently meant to be, let's just use Mac tonight as our inspiration and for our cover art. Um, we just kind of threw tracks back and forth. I think he ended up um, using most of his tracks for his side that he had sent me, whereas there were some songs that I did not include. Um, fun fact, um, the track from With Love that I mentioned earlier, Midnight, was actually supposed to be on Late Night Delight, but I second-guessed it and I removed it. So, I don't think anybody really knows that, so there's a fun exclusive for you. Um, I just, I don't know, I really, I my creative process was I want to make my side as fun as Ryan's, but how do I do this considering all of my stuff sounds more darker and less like super fun? Um, but I just kind of tried to match up energy levels or at least um, fun, I guess, spunkier tracks that would stand out um, with his work. Like I said, I was really intimidated um, because like I said, he was becoming so big and all of his songs were like instantly people were talking about them. And I was like, man, how am I going to live up to this? But yeah, we just, we were still each other's cheerleaders, sending all caps responses to each other. Like, oh my God, we love this. We didn't really have any kind of like coherent theme per se outside of we love Mac tonight and we want to make this really fun late night McDonald's trip record. Like that was pretty much it. And we just kind of went from there. So you guys were sending tracks backwards and forwards as the thing was happening as the mm -hmm. collaboration was going on that's yes so cool to kind of get an insight into that i can imagine and all of the track names on the album cover are all caps locks as well is this like probably copy and paste straight from the whatever <laughs> chat platform you were using at the time yes i actually fun fact i don't know how i don't know if like 
they got if they got that from Ryan because I don't know if we sent the songs in all caps that way. I don't know if maybe it was his upload. Maybe he had all caps in his titles. That or Wes was just really excited about it. But all of the songs ended up being all caps, which worked perfectly because the entire the entire us behind the scenes was it, it was one big question mark. We were just so excited about working together on this goofy, fun release that was going to be coming out on Ryan's birthday and just excited for the fact that we were going to possibly get a tape. Um, it was it was we were new to the scene. I mean, I was still around, but I was new as a creator and it was just an exciting time to be a part of it. And I feel like that really reflected in Late Night Delight. Like, even though I was, like I said, even though I was intimidated, I was still excited. And I feel like you can tell that we were excited on both sides, side A and side B. I think you can tell you're excited now. Yes. I'm just looking forward. Yeah. I I, I always look back at it with like a big smile on my face. It's, It's really a pinch me, I'm dreaming moment. And that entire time period, we were both just churning out albums. I think I ended up releasing TV Party within like a few. I think we, I think I finished TV Party almost at the exact same time as we finished Late Night Delight. We were just excited about the scene, excited about what was happening with us, excited about the attention that we were receiving, and it shows. It it, it was really, it's really fun to think about now really fun to think about now yeah i mean i i remember when we first got to release it and i know we had it was kind of an awkward way about which we ended up talking because there yeah. was you can remember i i was away with my girlfriend at the time and i was frantically trying to get hold of you and ryan because i had suddenly come to my awareness that you might not have been as aware of the fact that it was being released as we thought um best not to dwell on that side of things too no. much but like <laughs> The fact that it's come round full circle and it's now such a wonderful sort of shared experience and we play even a small part in in being, you know, conduits for it coming back out there to people again. It's just amazing. It is a pinch, pinch me moment kind of thing. So yes, we are grateful for the opportunity to work with you guys on it because it's such a classic album. Um Good, a really good, really good question from Buds9000, um, who was asking, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but asking about the choice of samples. And specifically, uh, they talk about the notion that Vaporwave fans as an audience will then go on to seek out the sort of source material for themselves, like open them up to new music they wouldn't have listened to before. Like, what do you think about that? Is that kind of an intended consequence of making music using samples? Do you like the idea that people will try and work out what crate you dug that record out of and then go and listen to them for the first time themselves? I do. I uh, I always liked, I, I, I like who sampled for the reason, but I also kind of, I don't know. I, I personally, part of the appeal of finding samples for me is not knowing where it was from and finding it on accident. Um, I remember, gosh, there was a song... Um, that was sampled by Future Airwaves, a really obscure artist that is very underrated. He only released probably three tracks. But there was a song that I had been looking for for a long time 
And I found it on accident while I was sample hunting. And the joy that it brought me to find that was just exhilarating. So that said, I sometimes feel like things like who sampled um, kind of spoil the surprise for people. I mean, it's cool that it's out there. I mean, some people don't really know where to begin in finding vaporwave things like they don't know where to start. So it kind of in, in the modern vaporwave realm, it kind of acts like a guide like, hey, if you want to... If you want to mess around with Vaporwave, this might be a good place to start. You can start in this genre. You can start maybe by looking through different channels, different artists, etc. Um, but I kind of like the surprise aspect of it. Um, but then again, I, I do appreciate the fact that it is guiding people. Um, for me personally, I, I have developed a fondness for smooth jazz that I didn't expect to ever have. I used to hate smooth jazz as a teenager. Um, I remember this particular dentist office experience where we listened to nothing but smooth jazz the entire time. And teenage me totally hated it. Now, like, adult me is like, can I go back to that? And can I, like, grab my phone and Shazam everything? So I could just have that as a playlist because I'm pretty sure all of them I probably would think were amazing. Um, it's really helped me develop a fondness for 80s pop, um, 80s instrumentation, um, drum machines, um, just that whole thing. I used to be, I used to hate 80s the 80s as a decade i used to hate the fashion i used to hate the Same. music yes yeah. it's crazy to think like i hated it when i grew up in it i thought it was naff i thought it was awful yes it's amazing how much your views can shift when you kind of give yourself a bit of distance and you look back back through kind of a nostalgic prison yes 100 because i remember whenever people were starting to do like the 80s like neon kind of like the mid 2000s 80s renaissance and i was like what is this why this is garbage what are you doing <laughs> then i found myself a few years later being like oh the music's not that bad the fashion's not that bad and thinking I, I bet teen me would be like, what the hell is wrong with you, Lux? What, where did you go? Who are you? But yeah, I, I really developed an appreciation for it as, um, as time progressed. Um, it really opened some portals for me into appreciating. I probably wouldn't have gone through my new wave and post-punk phase had I not fell, fallen in love with 80s music in the first place, quite frankly. It opened a lot of doors. And, um, Sort of following on from that, I think it was Blue Blue Flamingo. Is he a relation of yours, Vince? I assume not. He's asked a question. But you're on silent. This is another fan club member. It's another fan club member. Um, yeah. They'd asked whether, given the samples that you used in the album, were, were there any specific reasons as to why you chose those samples themselves? Were they things that you were listening to? Were they... Like you mentioned earlier on, random things that you come came about, or, or was it deeper than that? Honestly, it was. Um, I was just really digging through most of the stuff that I had used were were like kind of J-pop, city pop, kind of. I would I would go through a lot of different YouTube channels. It wasn't really. I didn't really have any kind of rhyme or reason. I would just I would find a song, and I would go into their channel to see if I could find more songs like it. And I just kind of dug through the crates basically to hear if I could find something that I felt like would fit my sound. Mm. 
and I didn't really have any particular rhyme or reason to it. It did get me to, it did make me develop an appreciation for city pop listening to a lot of it because I hadn't really heard city pop at the time. Um, and I, I mean, I didn't, I didn't really know a lot about Japanese funk music, but I think one of the first tracks I heard was um, a track called, um, well, I, I don't know what it's called in Japanese. They, I found it and it was called, it, it was said, it said random funk track. So I still don't know it. I know that Groovy Kaiju used it for Space Dandy, but I use it for my own track called What's Going On Back for Luxury Elite 3. And that's how I ended up finding more of that. But I really developed an appreciation for their production and how they went about it. And I was like, oh, I like this. I'm going to sample this and see where it goes. So, right. No, there wasn't really a particular theme, though. Nothing that. I, it didn't really fully motivate Late Night Delight. I just liked how it sounded, and, it, and I went from there. Tom, have you got any um, anything on Late Night Delight? Because I've got a couple of kind of, what's the word, like quick fire questions we've got we can rattle through, which will be nice. But yeah. I just have like another sort of weird sort of cosmic coincidence. Um, yes. And without just uh, wanting to be like uh, Adam Harper's spokesman, which I feel like I'm turning into, um, like she said something like what you use the word sort of fun and goofy to describe the record and you also like evoke this image of kind of dancing around your kitchen to the record like when when we were chatting to adam he he used the exact same i don't know if it was kitchen but he definitely talked about like he said late night late night delight was like the first fun vaporwave record and like the first sort of one that you could dance to and he he definitely talked about you know putting it on and dancing around a room i can't remember if it was a kitchen but a room and so uh yeah <laughs> what you said about that earlier just sort of brought me back to that it makes me so happy to hear that because i don't know if adam actually like went into detail about his um his relationship with us early on i don't know did he talk with you guys about that he, he talked about um the construction of the article and that he spoke to a number of people and that the people who ended up making it into the final cut. I don't, I don't know if he specifically told me that he'd spoken to you guys. Um, <laughs> he was quite good at being discreet. I got the sense, which is fair enough, but I, I don't know whether there's a reason why he wouldn't have said anything. Perhaps you can tell us the scoop. Well, um, <laughs> <laughs> Deep breath. I don't, don't want to like, I don't want to, he, he, we're fine, of course. I don't want to like cause it was a little bit of a dramatic moment. Um, mm. The follow up for around the time that the, his second article came out, um, the there was a, an image that was floating around on 4chan that discussed a term called broper wave. Mm. I don't know if you guys are familiar with yeah, that. Yeah, yeah we've seen that. Yes. Yes. So broper wave came about because a lot of like like I mentioned earlier, a lot of people thought that I was that Fortune 500, SPF 420, our group of people were quote unquote the cancer that was killing vaporwave. That we weren't taking it seriously. That we were making a mockery out of the genre. And in Adam Harper's second article, he kind of agreed with them. And actually linked to the Broper Wave article. So the dummy magazine follow-up was basically him saying Fortune 500 had um, quantity over quality. Um, kind of not really being the nicest about how the second wave of Vaporwave was. However, um, he ended up speaking personally about it like on his personal blog spot and said, 
that he regretted what he had said about it, that he had grown to enjoy it, I guess. I don't know if he had ended up looking at it at a different approach, that initially he just didn't understand it. But funny enough, at the end of the year, he actually called our album. He it, We were tied with um, Infinity Frequency's Computer Death as the number one Vaporwave album for him that year. And wow. I was like, man, how the tides have turned here. Because I didn't expect it. I... He was at the beginning very fully against it. Um, I would love to know one day, just ask him like, hey, what was the turning point for you? I'm sorry, you just probably heard my cat meow. What? It's all good. But um, yeah, I would love to know what made him change his mind. What broke, like what, what snapped in his head to be like, oh, okay, I get this now. But it does really. I really like the fact that he also dances probably around his house to it. Good. I'm glad we can bond on that. You raise an interesting point. But I mean, one of the things he did say was um, that he had some regrets about the impact that the the articles had. I think he spoke um, off camera about there was a bit of abuse, I think, on 4chan and stuff that was directed towards Ramona. Um, Oh, yes. Maybe that unwittingly you can kind of unleash a beast online and that's one of the unintended consequences of social media and the way in which online seems operates the good comes with the bad unfortunately as well so i wonder whether maybe down the line he just revisited his whole view on vaporwave but he still he said he doesn't listen to it as much as he used to but he he definitely appears to have carried on paying at least a passing interest in to the genre over the last 10 years or so Amazing. So, um, yeah, isn't it? Um, here's, here's some more silly questions then. Yeah. Hidden asks, is there an artist that you've always wanted to collaborate with but haven't mm. yet, presumably? Hmm. Fun question. Um, I'm always afraid to collaborate with people, to be honest. Um, I always get intimidated by the concept of collaborating um, just because I'm afraid that my side or like my my portion of it is not going to be very interesting or that it's going to not be as fun as the other half expects for it to be. I mean, I used to do collaboration albums all the time, but now I'm like chicken shit over them. Um, I would love to revisit um, collaborating with Drips again, but he is a long gone person. I really wish that he would come back. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like the one that would be, the one that would be the most fun, I would say is eyeliner. I think that that would be really fun. Wow. I like mix, that well. Yes. The MIDI with the, the sample based vapor. That could be really interesting. Yes. Yeah. And I, I've listened, he, he's been going into like a late night lo-fi-esque sound with his more recent work um Mm -hmm. i may or may not have heard some things from his new album and some of it is very it would be uh, it's like an original composition of late night lo-fi and it is incredible so i could only imagine what a collaboration album with him would be like especially after hearing that i feel like it would really complement each other Maybe one day. Maybe. I'm I'm lucky enough to have uh, been remixed by Eyeliner and to have remixed Eyeliner myself, and it was it was a hoot. Oh, he's so wonderful to talk to, and he's just he's so supportive, 
And not, it, it, I know that it would not be intimidating to collaborate with him at all because he just would have so much <clears throat> fun with it. It would just be really laid back and goofy, which is also something that would appeal to me because I get so in my head and so serious about doing splits, doing collaborations, doing remixes that I feel like he would, Luke would shake me and be like, snap out of it, Lux. What are you doing? Just have to be fun. Fair, <laughs> he is one of the funniest people that I've met in the scene. And, yes. Uh, yeah, it's that whole, yeah, that kind of Kiwi off kilt sense of humor. I love it. It's, um, I can imagine that that would put you at ease quite quickly. When we, yeah. when we met him for the first time online, the, we did the background interview for the film and um, he, he had us in stitches within minutes and the whole thing was like that. It was a nightmare to transcribe after the event, but because um, it went on for hours, but it was brilliant. And uh, he's, he's one funny guy. Um, we got another question from Shakan Baker. I hope I pronounced that right. Apologies if I haven't. What do you like to do, watch, listen to when you're just chilling? Ooh, well, I do like, um, I have a, a fun VHS collection that I do like to dive into. Um, one of my favorite VHSs, funny enough, is a, a Rippington's Live in LA VHS that um, my partner Isaac got me because it is they just have so much fun and of course it was like i think it was released around the time like short, or shortly thereafter or like right around the time yeah of taurus in paradise their most popular album so it, it's just of course it has all the hits as i say but they also look so fun whenever they're they're doing their thing so i'll put that on whenever i'm like cleaning my house or trying to get things organized because i feel like it's like my pump up features <laughs> it's so strange um television wise um i like to go back to my old favorites um like lots of saved by the bell because it's available for streaming on one of the platforms i have um i don't really talk about it very much but i'm a big rupaul's drag race fan so i watch that a lot a lot like I usually will have them in the background at all times just on loop it's just weirdly comforting and plus I wish I could perform as fiercely as some of those lip syncers like I am so forever impressed I can't do the splits I really want to can you imagine if Lux did the splits on stage I would actually perform if that were the case <laughs> we'll, we'll bring you out for an IRL event for future sounds down the line I think that would oh. uh, sell a few tickets yeah there we go I'm sure, but oh you my You heard gosh. it here first. You heard it here first. It's <laughs> only, if you, only if you do the splits, though. Otherwise, it's I, a no-go. Uh, yeah, sorry. That's, um, yeah, that's kind of... Uh, can I get a, a Lux stunt double, please? Yes. Yes, <laughs> yes you can. Fine. Well, given that you kind of played quite well on the anonymity side of Vaporwave, there'd be a lot of people who wouldn't be sure if it was a stunt double or not anyway, so you could probably get away with it. Hmm. Good ideas. But then they would be able to go to the UK for me. So that's not fair. Hmm. Yeah, how could we know we were getting the real life? You'd kind of miss out on a trip, wouldn't you? Yeah, Man. that's true. If you didn't come. Fucking yeah. stunt double. How rude. <laughs> <laughs> um, we've got one more question from yeah. Suderity, who asks, what would be your favorite tipple of choice? Are you beer, cocktail? What kind of, um, yeah, what's your late night Ooh. delight? Ooh, my, I am, I used to be a big rum person, but here in the past 
couple, probably in the past year, I've developed a fondness for vodka. And it's because of the fact that I can make all sorts of really strange, fun beverages with it. Um, one of my favorite things I've had is um, just like pure vodka mixed with lavender syrup and pure LaCroix. Oh. And it's, oh. yes, it's really refreshing. And it also gets you a really nice buzz. It's the best of both worlds. Um, I also like using uh, peppermint syrup as well. Um, just having vodka, peppermint syrup, and um, and LaCroix as well with that. Um, I actually made that drink for the celebration of Twin Peaks Day a few days ago and called it the Black Lodge because I put red food poisoning or food poisoning, <laughs> food coloring in it. I'm glad I didn't poison myself, people. Oh my God, that would be a disaster. But yes, food coloring. Oh coloring asterisk. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a vodka yeah. person. They're also quite classy vodka drinks as well, aren't they? It's not as if you're just necking a bottle. There's some lavender no. in there. It's, it's, it's been well thought out. Yes, I, I like vodka straight. Ugh. I actually had vodka straight as, as like early 20s. And I'm like, God, this is terrible. So I actually kind of not, I kind of shoved it away for years. Like, oh no, I'm not a vodka person. But then I tried it and I was like, huh, what mixed drinks is delicious. Because you can't, <laughs> I mean, for the most part, as long as you put a bunch of other stuff in it, you don't really taste it. It's fine. Exactly, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, look, um, can we just thank you again? Uh, um, it's just, it's, it's amazing to have the chance to sit down and talk to you in such detail about your history, the scene's history, this album's like uh, amazing history as well. And then um, what we took, what was initially going to be half an hour, we've ended up taking twice that. So just we're really <laughs> grateful for you taking the time. It's been really enjoyable. Absolutely. Um, I don't know if anyone else has got anything to, to add to that, but just from our point of view, thanks again. And we can't wait to hear what what comes out of uh, Luxury Elite uh, next and where you take the project next. Well, thank yeah, you. It would just be a thank you from me. I think, you know, I've um, been listening to your music for a very long time. So it's it's wonderful to get to talk to you. So thank you for taking the time. Of course. Thanks for speaking to us, Lux. Of course, yes. It was a joy. It's been a pleasure talking to you all. I could really honestly talk for hours about all of it, really, truly. Um, if, we, if we had the time, I would probably talk about it for six more hours. But alas, I know that you guys need to sleep. That would well, we'll be get you in for. We can get you in for a follow-up at some stage, no doubt. But, yeah, um, definitely. I'd be more and than we'll, we'll upgrade the Zoom next time so that we're not constantly getting bounced out after an hour. But, um, <laughs> But yeah, no, thanks again. And um, yeah, here's to Friday. I um, hope that everyone enjoys Late Night Delight Day as much as I'm sure everyone on this call is going to. Absolutely. And, um, we'll catch up with you soon. All right. Thank you guys so much. It's been a pleasure. And uh, thank you for having me on. I hope you all have a good evening. And I look forward to seeing everybody on Friday. Okay. Well, okay, well, you will have a great rest of your evening. Thank you very much to you. Thank you. Bye, guys. Thank you.